All right, good. You ready to do this? Let's go. Let me just get it. Say 172, 173, 174. All right. Okay, Jason Verkart, ready? Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Solar Coaster with Josh Porter here in Maui and Mr. Verkart is still in Osaka. How are you doing today, Jay? Uh, good morning. You get a, right up on the mic there. <laughs> Wake me up. <laughs> we get a chance today to uh, follow up on our previous show, which was um, PSH with David Bissell. And one of our news and events today actually covers that, which is cool. And we're, uh, we're kind of getting into hydrogen a bit and bringing out some of the shows that we recorded this summer. Uh, this one in particular is exciting because it's the largest um, <clears throat> hydrogen facility or the new clean green hydrogen facility that is in the United States. That's uh, the Wells Dam facility in Wenatchee, Washington with Megan Vippard of Douglas PUD. Uh, so, you know, what a, what a cool place and really cool people. And by the way, Jay, they were pretty, uh, pretty, uh, you know, accommodating saying, Hey, when you guys are ready, come on out and be a part of this. So I can't wait to go child <laughs> lean on me. I love road trips, bro. <laughs> you, you're all about the road trips. I'm all with, all about the hydrogen. So it's going to yeah, be a good yeah. one. Guaranteed. This is a really neat one. And the interview, I, I, I'm not sure if you get a chance to check it out again recently, but you know, Megan talks a lot about why they would go about something like this. And it's so cool as a, as a kind of juxtaposition to David Bissell and KIUC, Kauai Island Utility Cooperative, which was our previous show. Um, you know, you look at the geography of these environments and uh, there are certain things that allow certain technologies to flourish and that pencil, great, right? So in the case of Kauai, PSH, pump storage hydro was a great mechanism, is a great mechanism that's being worked on to move that community to uh, closer to 100% renewable energy. It looks like about 90% uh, throughout the, the entire 24 hour day, which is pretty awesome. And then you have something like the Wells project, which we'll have the interview today in this show, <clears throat> And this is, you know, it's a different set of circumstances, right? You're, you're up in Washington. You've got some of the cheapest energy in the country. You have a run of river project. You have, um, I think it's like 600 megs. Or I have to look at the numbers again in terms of the size of the dam. But I mean, the bottom line is they have, they have excess power. What do they do with that? How do they reduce the problems in their system? And green hydrogen and Cummings electrolyzers, five megas, that's the solution they decided on. And this is so rad, man. By the way, these, there's a similarity in these two institutions, Jay, that I don't know if you caught right off the bat, but they're both like these cooperatives, basically. The PUD is a cooperative as well. Like it's a kind of a community-based electric uh, company organization. And they have a similar mentality and vibe about them. You know, uh, so I, that's what I love about these. The innovators are are like the people's movements in a sense, right? So super rad. So that's today's show. What 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 say you, Mr. Verkart, today? Um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's, it's one of those uh, things that we keep reiterating, or at least keeps coming up in our conversations, right? Is that these things work in in certain geographies, in certain locations, uh, in certain political climates, whatever it happens to be. Certain technologies really are like a, a no-brainer fit. Um, what I do like, and what you just mentioned was the, the, the whole community aspect of these things. These, these companies that aren't really, they're, they're not investor-owned companies. They're, they're the community yeah. who set up a board, bought 
their utility and is making the decisions for themselves instead of just what is the the short-term bottom line best gain <laughs> for our stockholders it's how do we want to live over the long term and it's i love it there's man. no better no better way to do this <laughs> i love it i love it it's so funny man it's like you know uh the incentive for the company is very clear right you know hey what's your stock what's your price the share value uh, and in the, by the incentive for an organization like the PUD and, and Wenatchee with the Wells and with KIUC is, oh, how do we take care of our uh, the stakeholders, which are not shareholders, <laughs> they're uh, the, the people in their community that they're providing electricity for. And how do we do that yeah, over the long my, term? Mark my words. Said. Mark my words on this is that those are the ones that are going to be making the best profit margins later on down I know, the road. <laughs> I know. That's the, that's the sick part of the whole thing, man. They're going to smoke mm. these fools. <laughs> oh, it's so great. I love it. Okay. So, yep. uh, hey, everybody, thanks for tuning into the Solar Coaster. Me and Jay are back up and running, having fun doing the coaster things. Uh, we got a lot of great things coming up in the, in the upcoming months. Uh, today is March 16th. We'll be airing this show shortly of 2022. And we're going to jump right into news and events. And Mr. Verkut, I know you picked out some great things for today. So which one would you like to start out with? So you've been sending me an absolute deluge yeah. of, of news and interesting things because we haven't we haven't talked about all this. I mean, we talk all the time, but um, this one stood out to me. Uh, a Honolulu Civil Beat article oh, talking geez. about uh, Big Island bioenergy. Um, the, I mean, we've talked about bioenergy before. We've had um, the Kings on with their their sunflower uh, fuel. Uh, right. biofuel, etc. Yeah. We've talked about burning trash. I mean, all these things, but this particular biomass that they're trending on burning is just trees. <laughs> Dude, I mean, we're I, I'm gonna... <laughs> like, what, what century are we living in where we have to set up a power plant that burns trees, specifically uh, eucalyptus trees that they want to just clear um, <laughs> thousands and thousands of acres. Yeah, this is nuts. Um, you know, and actually, uh, our good friend Marco Mangelstor from Big Island was quoted in this article from Civil Beat. This is March 14th article entitled Big Island Bioenergy Plant Searches for More Trees and Regulatory Approval. Um, you know, and it, it I, I just sent him a text message. I was like, burning trees to make power today is cray cray. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, it's, I was it's, like, what? it's like it's like that Spider-Man thing. <laughs> what are you thinking? And, you and, and as you <laughs> as you dig into this article, you know they've been having trouble with regulation, and they're having trouble with getting um, land leases for in order to harvest the um, the eucalyptus or the, the the trees that have been you know planted for commercial purposes, yep. and they're, they're talking about a, a you know a net zero. Uh, um, carbon, you know, emission, but which I find, you know, uh, really debatable. It's, it's, it's a little silly because I don't think these eucalyptus were ever planted with the express intent of just burning them. Um, right. I, I do want to make a couple of things very clear. They, they've got um, leases from three sources already that amount to about 11,000 acres worth of trees. Now that sounds like a lot, um, but I did the math. Um, Big Island is actually about 2.5 million acres so it's 0.04 percent of um no no 0 0.004 sorry 0 0.004 of the total area of big eye it's not a super significant portion but i think it's the, the whole concept behind it is just 
absurd when you have so many other options, especially in a place like Big Island where you have all the land area, you could put out yeah. fields of, of solar farm, you have the wind options uh, available to you everywhere, although that's that's coming up in a different conversation. Yeah, I had a couple um, of problems with this one, you know, Jay, and along those points, I mean, I think they need a couple thousand acres a year to operate, right? And yep. so how far can you get? They only got a few years of operational operability, I guess you could say, operational yep. capacity with, with the amount of uh, acreage they have Before they scheduled. burn through, literally burn, burn through. through. <laughs> And then it's, you know, and then in the article, the guy's like, yeah, it's been tough to get this thing, you know, permitted. You're talking about a decade of him, you know, fighting this thing. And uh, the, he, at the end, he goes, well, you know, if we don't, if we can't get the leases and if we don't happen to have the trees, we can always ship in the trees from other islands or from the mainland. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. Let's ship in these massive <laughs> logs, you know, to burn them in Hawaii. I'm like, man, what century are we in? Is that, that's gotta be less dense than shipping in bunker, right? Like in terms yeah. of the amount of yeah, stuff you're spe- talking about energy density for volume, there's, there's no way it can compete. It's, and it's it just- doesn't, and, and we're trying to get away from the, from the diesel of bunker fuel anyway. Right. Um, it just, it, it all comes back to this non-appealable power purchase agreement that they have, right? They can't get rid of it. They're under contract to do this thing. Oh, with the utility. They yeah. have to do it. Yeah. Oh, so do you think they are they in a situation where they're like, oh man, we started this 10 years ago before PV dropped. And now it's yep. like this is useless. It, it yeah. just I, I don't get it, man. I really don't get it. I'm really kind of I mean if there it comes needs, down to the there contractual needs to be law, an out. There needs to be a renegotiation. There was something you can do anything else, but shipping in trees or just burning all the trees on the island is not <laughs> they're not, going for not a, a solution. Uh, I they're going want to have for a an Easter Island five hundred years. Like ago, when we try right? to talk about nuclear, you know, <laughs> it's just no, the conversation stops. Well, so trees, yeah. No. <laughs> so look, we got um, you got we got plenty of uh, intermittent uh, resources for energy production. Of course, storage and and dispatchable and firm power is what they're looking for. Ironically, um, Big Island has one of the you know this has PGV, the uh, Puna Geothermal Plant, which is like I think around twenty percent or a fifth of the overall uh, power of the uh, of the actual island. So they already have like this you know it. it existing resource that they're harnessing successfully for firm and now they're going for something else uh when there are potentially other options and we talk about biomass and things like i i know in kiuc um uh, Bissell says that it's just priced out as a pencil out doesn't work but when you look at something like um the kings you know that's an interesting type of uh, renewable kind of resource you know you're talking about seasonal sunflowers and different types of stocks to be able to make uh you know um we call it biodiesel yeah, and, and people talk about bridge firm. fuels right so we're looking at um something to hold us over until you can't just snap your fingers and immediately have a billion windmills and billion solar panels and whatever else these hydrogen the hydrogen infrastructure all that stuff just doesn't materialize overnight you need to be able to do something and i'm pretty sure most of us by now have seen the um the diesel retrofit kits you know you can buy a retrofit to go on your existing diesel motor that will allow you to take the used fry oil from mcdonald's and pour it into your gas tank and it it doesn't sound like a really good idea but when you think you're they're just going to dump it anyway um at least use that uh, and then move on to the the more sustainable fuels until that particular vehicle is end of life right so you get your full use out of the vehicle before 
shelving it and moving on to to an electric right while you right. while you while you own those things one question and that would work very well for like like city buses and things when they Ah. have a giant fleet and they like i have three thousand buses in my fleet well we can buy 10 new buses a year just for budgeting reasons yeah we'll buy electric but you still have and how many years is it going to take to work through that fleet right i mean you have uh sunken uh you know those are assets with like sunken what do you call it um commitments right you have the that you've already invested in them and you want to utilize them for their full value, but you don't want to create problems with climate change or, you know, or carbon emissions. So yeah, you can use that kind of approach, but I mean, this tree thing is just, uh, it's just straight bonkers. If you asked me, I, I can't really see any merits to it. Um, so if, is it, if it, if it genuinely is, and they're talking about, you know, 20% of the power, like it, it, comparable to PGV, uh, and they're talking about uh, zero effect on climate change. I think that's just nonsense. That's all based on their commitment to replant, right? So it's like, let's take all that sequestered carbon. And <laughs> even, I don't, I guess even, they're not scrubbing, then, right? So let's take all that sequestered carbon and release hole. it. And then, hey, we promise yeah. <laughs> we're going to go and yeah. plant new trees. I mean, no, <laughs> this but sucks. Even, even then I went, I went down the rabbit hole. Now, these trees have been been out there for for many, decades at this point, right? They're, they're big trees um, that they want to cut. And it's about a decade for a eucalyptus to reach 60% of its total height. And then it takes many decades after that as the growth kind of slows. Right. Um, yeah. So you're, you're looking at 30, 40 <laughs> years before those trees that they harvest will ever be to the level that they were or close to the level that they were before. They'll be flooded by that time the fields of just trees as they're trying to get <laughs> look anyway marco yeah. <clears throat> marco mangelsdorf um has a great uh, couple quotes in here i'll just read those and we can move on but uh burning trees or fossil fuels is archaic when clean sources of energy exist like solar wind hydro geothermal we absolutely can and must do better in terms of power generation on this island if not the whole state uh mangelsdorf said we're in a planetary emergency a planetary crisis as far as stuff as far as the stuff we're putting in the atmosphere and uh, so burnt, burning trees releases more greenhouse gases in the environment than burning coal, <laughs> Mangelsdorf said, uh, citing scientists to wait on the matter. So, um, and yeah, that, I mean, and that, that completely puts aside like the whole land management aspect. You have solar um, surface soil runoff and all sorts of other things that happen when you go and clear these fields of, of forested trees. There's probably a, a, a plethora of issues here. Um, yeah. Okay, so this is, um, let's hope this thing does not move forward. Uh, there's definitely some, <clears throat> there's definitely some other uh, opinions here. I think Chris Lee is quoted, um, or no, it's actually Lee, it's the CEO, and he's, he's, he's not Chris Lee, the, the senator, but he's talking about the, the supposed benefits. I, I Candidly, I don't buy any of these. Let's just move on to something else. Um, well, okay. One last thing. I mean, if you're on big Island, get, talk to the utility, ask them to renegotiate this particular power purchase agreement with this company. That's the way public, to do it. That's public pressure Jason's does saying. help. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, how, how about the offshore wind stuff? Cause you know, I'm going to get excited about that after our experience. It's a big deal. There. So we have, um, Biden's big wind initiative coming through. And it looks like at the state level as well, we've got a lot of, a lot of action happening. Um, offshore wind energy bill sails through the, uh, the Hawaii State Senate, um, and the House is about to vote on it. Now, this is um, a huge bill, Senate Bill 2535, um, coming through asking for 400 plus megawatt worth of offshore wind. Pretty sizable. Um, 
there's a big discussion here. If you go through it, it's it's many, uh, what, 16, 62 turbines, 15 miles offshore. Um, the discussion here has always been, I don't want to see it. Right? Just, yeah. like, just like most everything. I don't want to have to see it. In order to get the wind so far offshore that you won't, it won't be visible from shore, especially these big giant ones. It needs to be something like 30 miles. 30 is so, the, the, um, the floating, basically. The, but, it would have, but, but it would have to be floating stuff and that, that's not this. So right. what, what does that make the coastline look like? Yeah. So, you know, of course, okay. So on the one hand, I guess I'm excited. I was excited to see that this was in the legislature and that they're working on this. And there seems to be uh, political support for mm-hmm. incorp- for wind, which I, I on a personal basis, you know, I I have to read through twenty five thirty five in in detail. Looks like Chris, Senator Chris Lee is here uh, discussing this. We're talking about the windward side of Oahu. That's actually his consist- constituency. You know, Waimanalo, these kinds of areas, Upper Oahu. Yeah. We have found out from DBED that you that solar. We've said this plenty of times. We'll say it again for the sake of this show that uh, solar resources are cannot be deployed at enough scale in order to meet. The 100% renewable energy they mandate the for the other area. One. They don't have the area. So they're looking for solutions, right? So what are some of those solutions? Well, apparently you could burn trees. <laughs> Not on a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> for firm, you know, bear in mind, we're talking about different things. Firm, dispatchable versus intermittent. But in the case of, um, you know, offshore wind, now we have political support on the federal level. We're talking about what's happening out in Martha's Vineyard with uh, vineyard wind and something like 800 megs of uh, Halliot X's, 60 and change, 14 megers. We're talking about new, I don't know if we covered in this today's show, but leases that are actually getting traction and numbers are coming in and multi billions of dollar leases for the New York area, the New York corridor. There's stuff that's happening down in the Southeast. There's potential out in the Gulf. There's potential out in California and there's potential here in our home state in Hawaii, man. And so when I think about this, after talking with Andrew Doba and Lars over at Vineyard, you know, I, that was one of the conversations we had. We're like, can we do it out here? And he's like, they're like, we don't really cover that area. We're not really sure, but it's so good to see this happening right here. This discussion at least, right. To bear it out and find out what the impact is. So I do remember talking to them about, you know, what would it look like on the horizon at 15 and 30? Well, 30, you don't see it basically. And that's, yeah. that's, that's, um, that's floating and floating. That technology is not really mature, which is interesting. Right. So that float that floating technology at 12 meg, 14 meg, Halliot X style, like super mega scale wind is really in development. It's not like concrete at the moment. Right. Yeah. This so, is still in its infancy as far yeah. as a, a technology, whereas firm anchored wind is, that is works. pretty well known. And that's being deployed and it's being permitted and approved so that they're focusing on this anchored, you know, you know, but there you can see within the legislature, they're talking about trying to not have strict limits on the actual distance. And, you know, in a place like Hawaii, this environment, people are, you know, if people are sensitive in general about the natural environment, what they see, they don't like change. They don't like to see change to the natural environment, but we have to make some decisions here. Right. Yep. There's cost benefit in this. And if uh, if we prize, uh, you know, carbon free energy and being this leader in the world, that is the state of Hawaii, uh, then we're going to have to make some decisions about how we handle that for the island of Oahu. To me, wind feels like um, one of the best cost benefits out there that we have access to for, for a lot of additional energy intermittent that that being that, that being said. Um, and I think that, you know, we're going to have to kind of fight this fight and it's not going to be an easy one. People are going to get real excited about it. They, and when you think about this, Jay, you know, think about this, 
in, in Hawaii, you have this concept of ahupua'a, right? Mm-hmm. You have from the ridge line, you've heard me talk about it ad nauseum, right? I love this stuff. From the, um, the, the mountain ridges all the way down through the reef and being one kind of intact ecosystem that a community harnesses and is responsible for multiple generations. This is being deep, part of deep Aina. Yeah. Yeah. Part of like, we're actually this. And so the concept of the Aina out here is, is a, is probably at a different level than on the mainland. If you, like, if you want to, my, my, my opinion on that, I would say that's the case. I would, I would agree with that. <laughs> so now you're saying, Hey, we're going to put windmills out at the tip of the Ahupua. <laughs> Right. And and maybe near your reef. And in this article, a couple of the people mentioned that a couple of the citizens community uh, comment on not you know that term, but they talk about we don't want the reef disturbed. We don't want the fish stock disturbed. We don't want. This. And that's something you got to you got to kind of respect. So does this find its way to offshore wind? And does this are we the environment like in so many cases in the past? we, meaning Hawaii, where we are are testing the newest technology to make things work. Could this be an environment where offshore 30 mile out floating wind could be pioneered? That's kind of the thing that I look at when I see this, because I I don't think people are going to let that go, man. You're going to be like, ah, they don't want their humu humu nuku nuku apu ah messed up by big windmills, (laughs) you know? Or whatever. I mean, bird strike is always a big conversation when you put out windmills and we have a lot of seabirds as well um there is uh 27 turbines of floating energy wind as part of this bill so it's part of the project part of the proposed projects um we're gonna have to see exactly what that entails um but it's the it's still permitting takes what 10 9 to 10 years i read which is just a huge process so there's going to be a lot of conversation over this next decade um assuming that it it gets through the um the house can you imagine though i mean try to just like imagine what it would look like to have 40 wind turbines you have to have first of all you need undersea cable right that's a whole other discussion yep just putting undersea cable out here has been impossible between islands right politically so it's a yeah. non-starter. And yeah. so now you have to have undersea cable from that, over, let's say it's 13 miles or 15 miles and it's it's anchored, right? And it's, uh, uh, so you have, you have to do that. Then you have to have a, you have to have some development at the actual shoreline, right? To handle that energy imp coming in. So like in, in the case of Massachusetts and over in Martha's and that area that we interviewed Andrew Doba on and uh, Vineyard Wind, you're talking about New Bedford's, like the entire community there is looking at all kinds of new jobs, new infrastructure. And these, you know, it's a, it's like, it's like a port in a sense, right? It's got an energy port. And so that kind of thing would need to happen presumably somewhere here where you're going to bring that energy in, you know? So that's what I was going to say. I mean, there are some real benefits to this. I mean, you you do get this visual impact, but having the carbon free energy, having the ability to do that, having the jobs that come with it now, not just the, not just the install installation, but all the maintenance, there's ships that go back and forth and maintain the cables, um, just literally running the cable up and through the ship and down and they they constantly do repairs. Um, All these things will be, or should be, and that should be part of the contract is sourced as local jobs, local talent. Heck yeah. It's high, good paying, high tech work. And, and that can be specced as union labor. That's what they did over in, sure. um, in, in New England. And, and yeah. that was a big deal. It was national news, man. So, yeah. you know, we could do the same thing here, get people employed for a very long period of time. And, uh, you know, from my perspective, this is pretty exciting tech. 
And I'd like to see this kind of thing. It's a solution. It's a good solution relative to some of the other opportunities out there for a place like uh, uh, Oahu. If you, if you want my, uh, my, if I were to have to go yay or nay, I would go yay. And I would say yay with the caveat of let's, you know, let's, let's do the research. Let's do the, um, what do you call it? The environmental impact analysis. Let's find out how this is going to, um, you know, impact to the community long-term. Uh, but in, in the other thing here, it, just to bring out the, the issue here, you do, uh, Doug McLeod of uh, Hawaii Energy Conference is often discussed. In fact, we did a show with uh, um, Henry Curtis of um, Life of the Land Media, Elani Media, and he talked. He and Doug were were thrown around the idea of of security. So outside of just the general capacity of these systems to live in that very hostile environment, right? We're talking about the North Shore of Oahu in the middle of Pacific, right? That's one thing. (laughs) But then what about bad actors? Could, you know, you've got subs out there. You've got, you know, uh, malicious intent kind of uh, other countries and people and armies and navies and stuff. What if they came out and just, you know, cut it and then boom, your your power is gone that you're relying, relying upon. That's something they've talked about. It's something to just keep in mind. Uh, you know, I don't know how easy or difficult it is to do that, but so that's a, that's regional, a that's regional defense thing. I mean, we do have a military presence in the state, so <laughs> right. stay off of our windmills. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway. and, and, and of course, it's it's always the wind um, conversation, although the wind's usually pretty steady out there. Um, storing it, bottling it, hydrogen, ammonia, whatever it happens oh, gosh. to be. Isn't that um, exciting? And, and having a stockpile, I mean, that, that will sit in indefinitely, assuming your storage vessel is okay. So you can, you can bank a decent amount of energy and, and hold it you know, as opposed yeah. to like lithium technologies. And we're learning it's, that you can, definitely st- possible. you can hold this energy long duration storage. When you look yep. at stuff like PSH, pump storage, hydro out in Kauai, when you look at what For we're sure. going to talk to about today about hydrogen with the Wells project in Wenatchee, Wisc, uh, Washington. Um, there's also, we're going to talk about a, a news article on thermal, long-term storage, uh, thermal storage, which is also an exciting prospect. So yeah, man, cool stuff. Cool stuff. All right, Jay, we're in your capable hands. Keep us going. Always fun. Um, you know, I like talking about new tech and the perovskite thing. I think we talked about when they first were playing in the lab with a boron-based perovskite. Now, perovskite yeah. is a um, type of chemical crystal and structure that you can put lots of different elements in it. Um, but when you use it with semiconductors, you can actually get a, um, a, a photovoltaic type of system. Um, the nice thing is, is that it can be suspended in a liquid medium, which means you get to print it (laughs) literally printing solar panels, which is really cool. Um, or large scale, uh, think printing press, you know, just large scale sheets rolling through, rolling through, rolling through, um, inexpensive production methods, basically super easy to manufacture. The problem is, is that it has traditionally been really, really low efficiency. When we talk about the, the total limit for silicon solar cells was it's actually in the low 30 percentiles 32 point something you mean the theoretical um, limit the theoretical the total facility? theoretical limit yeah um a lot of these um perovskite element crystal uh, mo- i shouldn't say elements molecules um were uh, in, like in the 10 percent range and that was their theoretical limit so it really wasn't very good um but they've been getting better because you get to play with different elements right they keep combining different things and playing with it in the lab and they've actually got it up to like the, the, the high 20s now 26 27 percent and this weird technique for layering them like some of them are 
sensitive to different wavelengths of light. So you have one that's really works well in the red spectrum, Stacking. but it kind of lets the other stuff through. And then you could put another layer underneath that works really well in the blues. And mm -hmm. so that'll, that it'll, they work in tandem with each other. Um, but the newest thing is being able to print over a perovskite, a, a kind of uh, just a surface layer, keeping the photovoltaic properties of that perovskite, but then being able to color it. And it's a matte finish color. It looks like normal siding. And that's the hitch is now you can have a regular panel siding that you put on your house, a regular roof that you put on your house. And it could be photovoltaic. It could be a solar cell. And you'd never know. It looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, man. When we think about um, BIPV, building integrated photovoltaics, Yep. this is the... the um, you know, we know that our buildings are are out in the sun, and there's a lot of surface area. You know, it's not just the roofs. It's not, and and it's the you know the entire you know in many cases if you're in the north latitudes, the entire southern uh, section. You know, you know, solid 180 of the of the um, the we call it the degrees. Of so. Yeah. That's and you can I can see it on my home here in Maui. I have a southwest in my back. I have a or a southeast in my back. I have a southwest up by my driveway, right? And if I come home at five six p.m. and I'm up country, it's it's great weather, it's great climate. But if I touch the side of the house, man, that thing is cooking. It is so hot. The lateral wall, my southwest face of my house, and yep. if I and there's a little black um like entryway. Um, piece of plastic or metal at my door and if i'm barefoot you will hear me scream 10 houses down when i step on that thing because it's so hot <laughs> yeah. yeah so i've been meaning to remove it but i've got around to it so when i think about bipv i'm like there's definitely shit tons excuse my french jay of of, a lot of, of photons hitting shit tons of photons. I, I, I remember saying that earlier and thinking, oh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, of hitting the side of that building and harnessable and you could do something with that. That's exciting. And But we really haven't had the um, the practical building um, materials available to, to do that, you know, throughout our, our overall construction industry. But these, you think these are, are they, they, they hold somewhat of a promise well, for that? I, th I think it's getting there. Um, this has actually been driven uh, by the German mandate um, all new structures as of 2022 should be um, including a phot photovoltaic system this is this stems from germany's um, reluctance to to deal with nuclear is something we talked about when we were going to europe and traveling through germany and france and such as that france um, has very much bet on uh, nuclear energy being a, um, a long-term energy solution for them the germans don't want the nuclear energy. Mm -hmm. And so they're pushing very, very hard into wind and PV. And so this passed many, many years ago and has now come to um, its active stage where any new construction this year needs to have a photovoltaic system in it, or it won't be permitted in Germany. Remarkable, Remarkable huh? And they, they're they a little leader in, 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 I think, intermittent renewable energy per capita. Like Germany. Right. They well, they, they still have significant energy needs and they refuse to look at the nuclear option. So, mm. although I mean, well, they're, they're on a, they're on a continent, so they can just buy nuclear from France probably. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, um, high voltage lines running back and forth. Right. We looked at that. <laughs> All over the place. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I, uh, you know, and they're talking about percentages. You see, I was, I misunderstood. I thought the Perovs guys had higher percentages than silica, but you're saying no, the opposite. Not yet. It's, it's get, but it's getting very close. The game is, like I said, to, to layer those uh, materials into capture the multiple frequencies yep. Yep. and then have them placed optimally. I mean, the placement also makes it makes a big difference, but just to be able to code an entire, I mean, you can think about the surface area. Mm, the whole huge. big problem is it's like, huge. how many panels can you put on your roof? Well, you only have so much, so much space. Uh, they always have to be angle of incidence, really placed, put some careful thought into that. And you did that job for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's all about that. But if you can just for the same cost, coat everything and what you're talking about. Remember, we, um, we saw those vertical um, yeah. multi-sided panels there yeah. um, that give you massive amount of energy in the morning, almost nothing at noon, and then massive amount of energy in the evening. So well, you can do curve. the same thing with your entire with building. Bloop, bloop. And, and think about large-scale like apartment buildings in cities and such, if you have that kind of surface area. So it's not just your little footprint on the roof. It's the entire surface of the building. The air, the, the, yeah. the actual surface area becomes exponentially larger. No, it's a good point because when we think about solar today, the energy curve, the duck curve, the amount of energy that we consume uh, versus the how it's produced over a given day, where there's sun available to, to harness it. You know, it's like we we tend to consume at times outside of the peak of production. And in the case of the bifacials you described, it was an interesting contradiction to that standard, right? You could, if you put up, if you, if you, if you were one of those weird guys who were like, I'm going to put up, you know, a, uh, a line of bifacials. So I get a big bump in the morning and I get a big bump in the evening. And I, yeah, I get these, you know, this awesome kind of like basically a box of energy throughout the day. Whenever my solar system is on, it's always pumping because I have my roof stuff and I have my crazy bifacials, uh, you know, giving me energy in the, in the morning, in the, in the late evening, in the late afternoon. But I mean, I didn't think of it from BIPs, BIPVs from that perspective, but yes, it's the same conversation, isn't it? You, you're yeah. going to have a bump in the morning. You're going to have a bump in the evening, depending on the orientation of the building. And if you have conventional PV up top, it's going to broaden out the shoulders of that energy curve. And maybe regular folks may say, well, what the, what the hell? Why is that important? But I mean, that you're using energy in the evening when you're home from work. You're using energy in the morning before you're going to going out to school and to work and stuff, right? So if you can reduce the amount of energy that's necessary for the utility to provide for you in those off-peak times through something like BIPV, you have a more resilient grid. You have a you have greater capacity in your own home or environment or building or commercial building to be able to those are your own energy needs times that's when everybody gets home from works and kicks on the ac yeah yeah <laughs> that's well, that's so they neat. want to charge you that's so neat that's yeah. so neat yeah i love the idea of sucking up that heat from my southwest face of my house and putting it in the air conditioning right so well for that you're going to need some kind of solar solar thermal install right. as well in fact Working on, it, working on something it. stuck on the back of the, the cell um, or inside. <laughs> I wonder, I mean, that would be a really interesting thing to have some fluid cooling oh, sure. system inside. And it's, it's not at all part of this, <laughs> this article It's just neat to, gotcha. as a total, as a total system, something like that could be done. And they're, and they're talking about 14% efficiencies, right? So you, you might have 20% efficiencies up on roof with conventional PV, but if, but you know, it's limited, like you said, to a certain amount of roof area. If you have 14% on, you know, two, three X, the, the, the area on the, the sides of the, your, your building, that's a, that's a considerable contrib contributor to the amount of energy harnessed, harnessable. Yeah. Why well, throw it away when you can, when you can capture it. All right. Well, we were going to talk about, um, we're just, 
breaching into the world of thermal. Do you want to jump into what Gates and Chris Saka are doing? Oh, you, you've wanted to talk about this for a while. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So uh, basically, uh, you know, Gates has been out there working on, um, you know, one of the most kind of egregious contributors to climate change, which is heavy industrial uh, production of things like cement and steel, and I believe aluminum and these kinds of things. Like, how do they go about um, a, dealing with that particular area of, of, of carbon emissions? And so this article is from CNBC, actually. So the Bill Gates, Chris Saka invests in energy storage startup Antora to help heavy industry go green. And what's cool about this is they're basically, they have a picture, of course, the obligatory picture of a bunch of windmills and solar panels doing happy things in green pastures. And then right next to it is this mysterious box and it says Antora on the side, right? Well, what is that? Well, basically they're saying, hey, we've got abundant electrons now with the price of renewable energies dropping so precipitously. And why don't we take some of that and turn it into thermal energy and and hold it hold it in a in, in some form of a thermal battery i'm using the air quotes because it's kind yeah, of just, uh, figurative just say heat yeah yeah uh, <laughs> let's to, hold that it, heat it, let's grab that heat and hold on to it so we can use it in manufacturing processes later but how do you yep. do that right apparently carbon is the technology that they're using i and love I, that I, I love that at one point they go oh you may be counterintuitive to think about using carbon i was like i, I didn't think of it as counterintuitive but the, the because carbon is the problem people hear the word carbon they go oh, that's the problem but this is the solution carbon carbon in, in the atmosphere is bad this is a big <laughs> solid block it's not going anywhere <laughs> Okay. But this is cool, man. So they're basically saying, look, carbon doesn't change state. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't change to a plasma. It doesn't change to a vapor. It's something that you can heat up really, really hot, like to 3,600 okay. degrees or something like that. And it'll basically, and it'll cool down over time, but you get a long, I didn't, they were kind of a little ambiguous about the actual tech and how the how long it would last. I didn't see those kinds of specs in here. Like I just want to, I was like, where's the spec sheet? Just send me the spec sheet. I want to see yeah, how, right. long, where, how long, how long I don't think there? they're that far along. This little, this little image here is, is very much an artist's oh, sure. conception sure, sure. on it. It's not, it's not real yet, Yeah. but the technology sounds very, I mean, I want to say relatively simple and very sound. You know, you can do lots of things with the heat once you capture it, um, yeah. including running some water back through it, flash it to steam, and then powering a turbine to get your electricity back. You know, you can do right. that. So you've, you have you have effectively stored energy. In this case, it's in a thermal heat way and method, and you're using carbon to do it. And um, there's you could use that for various purposes. They're talking, of course, specifically about this really mean part of, of the contributor to climate change, which is heavy industry and manufacturing. So, um, you know, and, and I, it'll be really neat to see, um, you know, of course, when we think about thermal J, we tend to think about PVT and Sundrome and actually, you know, re removing heat from PV panels. Like that's the, when I thought, I thought it was kind of like in that world for a little bit, I was kind of like looking around going, uh, how are you getting the heat? Or so, concentrated solar liquid salt. I mean, that's the only other thing that comes to mind. But it's neither of those. And I, I don't think here, that's not what's happening. They're talking about conventional right. PV having abundant electrons. I'm talking about a conventional yep. wind having abundant electrons. And they're saying, we're going to use that. So I don't know if they're heating up some form of an element or what they're doing here. I want to see the actual It would have specs, to be just a heater right? element. Well, I mean, let's track them down. I mean, yeah. Gates is investing in them. They must be. I love following that guy's tours. stuff, man. He's always Get doing neat tour. stuff. But this is these guys just got fifty million bucks, so it, it can't be. A, um, a, I like, and you see this guy's shirt. He's wearing a cowboy shirt. Yep. <laughs> I saw this guy. I was like, oh, I like this guy. I want to, I want to meet him. So um, basically, saying, hey, there's, there's, um, and he's a neat guy. He went to Stanford and he came out and he created some kind of a solar company. Got acquired by SunPower, and then he comes and then um, 
gets goes to Sanford and meets a bunch of other uh, super smart guys, and and they're trying to figure out how to take the this stage of the renewable energy revolution and then position it to some of the the big you know problem areas like manufacturing of you know cement creation of cement things like that 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 really really release a lot of carbon so um yeah neat guys that was uh co-founder justin briggs uh david bierman and the main fellow his name is andrew ponick so let's see if we can get those uh those folks on the show that'd be fun absolutely i just want to go see it (laughs) A big, a big toaster for carbon the article the article says <laughs> it sounds like something you want to do jay you'll have to remind me are we going to uh, jump over to our main piece right now or do you want to continue with some news and events sounds sounds like a plan i'm super excited to hear about this one again um the interview was so long ago <laughs> yeah okay folks so we're going to head over to megan vipper this is in wenatchee washington uh this is the wells a dam project five megawatt cummings electrolyzer this is pretty honking tech the largest at this moment, clean hydrogen facility in the United States of America. Here we go. I've been with Douglas PUD for 20 years now um, in the same role as public information officer the whole time. And uh, it's a great place. You know, I don't know if you know much about PUDs, uh, public utility districts, but we're not for profit. And uh, we provide electricity and broadband services all throughout Douglas County. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you're um, not for profit. So we have some, we have a, a, the Kauai Island Utility Cooperative in, in Hawaii. Are you familiar with them? I'm not familiar with them, but yeah, the co-ops are the same thing. Municipalities. Yep. All, all doing the same good, good race. I've seen that. I love seeing that around the country. It's really encouraging in a space where it can be very different with these big utilities. So uh, wonderful. And so in a space like that, you know, of course we want to understand how your your uh, organization went about the process of deciding to move towards hydrogen capture with the hydro. So tell us about your hydro facility and about how you made the decision to uh, get involved with hydrogen. Yeah, that's a big part of our story, right? The Wells Project. So it's uh, over 50 years old and we're in the process of uh, rebuilding all the generating units. And so that's aside from the story about hydrogen, but you know, there's times of year where the sun is shining and the wind is blowing and the snow is melting. So we're a run of river project, 840 megawatts. Uh, that you've got a lot of electricity on the market. And that time of year, you don't have a lot of demand because temperatures are kind of mild. And so every year we run into this problem where um, we have to generate power because if we don't and spill it, it adds gas to the river, which causes problems for fish. And so you end up either paying someone to take your power for you or having an environmental problem. And so um, this was an opportunity, the hydrogen project was an opportunity where we could uh, divert that power that we were either giving away or paying someone to take um, into an electrolyzer and having a not only solve the problem of that extra energy that we um, were producing, but also uh, create a product that was that was useful for customers or uh, the nation. So, isn't that interesting that in, in that type of an economic driver is something people might not necessarily think about right off the gate, but you actually, you have excess power and you're actually paying another state or, or, or locale to take that power off your hands, which I find remarkable. So when you think about the economics of this, that must have played a role, right? You've got this uh, credit effectively if you, can, if you can, you get that power somewhere else. 
right. So, I mean, I'm, I'll talk a little bit more about all the other benefits that we uh, feel like we'll have um, with this electrolyzer, electrolyzer project um, that, that don't really have anything to do with hydrogen. Um, but then the, your, your green hydrogen is, is the bonus, right? Because yeah. when you produce um, hydrogen using, we're using a PEM uh, membrane electrolyzer. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's no, when you use hydrogen, you're, you burn it. The effluent is steam, right? And the energy going into the making that hydrogen is comes from a re renewable resource, water, hydropower, then it's considered uh, green hydrogen. And so we're excited about that. Uh, another benefit of having this hydrogen plant available, uh, hydro projects are, are, we balance the grid, right? So we're connected with a lot of other utilities and every four seconds, our big mechanical turbine generating units get sent a signal um, to either ramp up or ramp down. And that kind of um, constant motion can really wear on, on that big machinery. And so the idea with, with the electrolyzer is that rather than send those signals to the hydro plant and have it adjust its operations, we could send those signals to the um, hydrogen facility. And you know that's not a mechanical process, right? That's just mm. I'm ramping up and down the electrolyzer. And so we hope that that'll take a lot of wear and tear off of the hydro project too. Uh, you know, and I've heard a similar type of discussion in other spaces, like in microgrid, where you're using solar and storage to minimize the wear and tear and genset, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, that's, there's these common, common value propositions that emerge. Isn't that amazing? So you have a maybe better longevity with your existing infrastructure because of this. Right. Wow. Wow. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit about this electrolyzer and about so that's one particular application that you have there. But what, how will you use the hydrogen? What do you have a sense of where this is going to be uh, taken advantage of? Right. So this is a five megawatt project, pilot project, we're calling it. We are building it in a fashion where we can phase it, um, build in phases, add, add cell stacks or more um, electrolyzers to it in the in the existing facility that we're building. Right. Um, and so that five megawatts will produce about two tons of uh, hydrogen per day, we figure. And that right now we're selling for um, industrial purposes and also fueling stations or transportation fuel. Um, we did receive some state money for a fueling station. And so we'll be building one of those here um, in our area. And also we um, received a grant in partnership with the Bonneville Power or Bonneville Environmental Foundation, which is a, I think they're tied to BPA, but um, they're building a fueling station over in the Olympia area, and uh, we'll be providing the hydrogen for that fueling station. Whoa, whoa! So that's actually having access to having the hydrogen is now uh, in creating the opportunity for these new fueling stations to be built. Right. So, wow, that's really cool. Um, okay, well, help me understand. I get a sense of what you're building. And what are the dates on this? How quickly are we going to see this uh, this wonderful new technology active? Well, not soon enough, right? <laughs> so uh, initially, when we started off this process, we thought we'd be in production by the end of this year. But um, for various uh, material delivery reasons, mostly, 
Uh, we're looking at the first quarter of 2022 that's for not production. Bad. That's not too bad. Not I moved right around the corner. Uh -huh. And by the way, doing great things, innovative things often takes a little bit of time. So I, I think we'll, we're okay with that. Um, okay, help me understand, it, how is it that you're, uh, did you call it a cooperative or a nonprofit? What was the term you used for? Public Utility District. Public Utility District, PUD. So the P, how is, is it, do you think that it's part and parcel to being a PUD that you're able to do innovative projects like this? And do you see this being very like something that's going to happen a lot with utilities in the future? <clears throat> well, let's see. Uh, PUDs in Washington are only allowed to do what they're specifically um, authorized by the state legislature. So part of this story is back in 2019, we had to get authority from the legislature to produce, distribute, and sell this hydrogen. So that was kind of step one. Um, the other part of this that makes it possible for, for Douglas PUD is that Wells project. You know, we have a we have such a great green resource. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with us, but our, our power rates are about 2.3 cents per kilowatt hour for our customers. So it's a very efficient, yeah, we're, we're very blessed with that. So um, is that we, consistent throughout the year? Does that stay that way? Yeah, I mean, that's that's our rate for customers. Two point three cents per kilowatt hour. Do you know yeah, what the rates are in Hawaii? They are uh, literally, literally uh, more than like 10, 15 times that, you know, which is it's just one of the highest in the country. So you may have the lowest in the country. Do you have the lowest electricity price in the country? Um, I don't spend a lot of time researching <laughs> if we're the lowest, but that's what I've heard, heard several times. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's unreal. Well, I, I, on the other side of that, it must be difficult to get, make solar pencil, right? Well, <laughs> and that's, that's the thing. That's the thing, right? So, I mean, there's, we have, I think I heard mm, 10 to 12 customers that um, you're able to uh, do your own distributed generation. So you can yeah. um, have your own solar power, but I mean, they're not doing it for economic reasons. They're doing it right. for their own, their own social reasons. Right. And, right. and that's great. But but yeah, it really doesn't pencil out. Here's a question for you. What percentage of your power generation is from the Wells facility? Is it a, like half or is it all of most of it or? So we're, we're a surplus system. So we would be, we're able to cover our whole county load with it. So, um, okay. It's everything. It's everything. Wow. So interesting. And then, so, but I guess what I was trying to get to when I asked that question about um, how did, you know, was being a PUD helpful in getting to these new innovation? It, I mean, are there certain, is it the kind of environment where there's certain people around where they're just like, what can we do that's really innovative? Is it that kind of a, a kind of like, is it like a little think tank of energy people going, mm, what do we do? It's going to be like really, really cool. Uh, what's it like there? Well, I, I would, I would hope that we're like that. Uh, you know <laughs> what, we, we saw that there was a, an issue, right? And so um, back to everything we do is for the benefit of our customers, right? And so here we had an efficiency issue with the Wells project, um, giving away power or, you know, these power sales issues, environmental issues, how, what's, what's a way that we can solve this? Um, and also looking globally, um, you know, what's, how, what's the new, next thing, you know, that we've talked about pump storage, we've talked about wind power, um, you know, those things didn't pencil out for us, but this hydrogen really is. And so, or so far, and also going back to that Wells project that we own and operate, because we're a surplus system, we also have power sales contracts. And, um, you know, the district is 
very uh, financially conservative, I guess is the right way to say it. And so we've been able to have um, that Wells project uh, put cash away for that and so that we're able to do this type of a project without having to finance it at this wow. point. Wow. Got it. Got it. So you had a, you were frugal and you had the capital to be able to take these kinds of steps and you were looking for innovative ways to do that. And this, one of the things that you just said is really kind of rings true to me that whereas you looked at PSH pumped storage hydro, you looked at wind, you looked at hydrogen, and hydrogen made sense for your region and for your situation. And it feels like that's what's going to happen around the world, that you know, organizations, utilities, or PUDs, or you know, cooperatives, they're going to be making decisions like that. Like I just talked with Kauai Island Utility Cooperative, and they're working on a pumped storage hydro system. And that makes sense for them because you have elevation changes and you have a different economic model in terms of the cost of energy. Yeah. So very interesting, kind of reflecting these, uh, these things we're learning and discovering. Let's get some uses of hydrogen out there, right? So we're able to um, ramp up this facility to produce more hydrogen, but we would really need a place to use it or a, a market for it. Right. And so the you know chicken and the egg, which which is what's going to happen <laughs> first, the demand for it or the production of it. And so I mean, even now uh, here in rural Douglas County in the middle of Washington State, I mean, there's not any hydrogen cars or very few. I mean, or we don't have any right now, but um, we'll be getting some to try in our fleet. So I guess the message would be um, to try out hydrogen, see if it's a good fit for you guys. Um, solar power, a lot of people are doing it with solar too. Um, and there's also, I, there's a lot of technology going in and different things being tried with, uh, you know, more small scale uh, hydrogen production in with solar or wind power and so right. i think the i think the desire and the momentum is growing and so that's exciting to be a part of it couldn't agree with you more thank you very much uh i could probably talk to you for hours but i want to respect your time today so this has been <laughs> megan vippert uh public information officer from pud uh, wonderful to speak with you. So glad to learn about your Wells Hydro facility and the new PIMS that you're putting in, the five megawatt electrolyzer from Cummings. Thank you for your time today. All right. Thanks, Joshua. Uh, I'll tell you what, man, this is like, like I said before, with KIUC and the similarities of these kind of co-op oriented type of electric utilities, right? These guys are providing the Prior to this whole thing, the least expensive, she didn't quite say it too. I asked her and she was like, yeah, I think we are the cheapest in the country. They're like that, uh, like two or three cents a kilowatt hour. They got uh, so much energy because uh, you know of how they've set this up and the, what their overall district is. And they're able to move into hydrogen to make it work and to reduce the friction on those drives and inside of that, you know, that hydroelectric system. And, and then they're able to develop a market, right? They're working with, uh, you know, various actors out there to develop actually a market for the hydrogen that'll be produced, the green hydrogen with the five megawatt modular electrolyzer. I don't know, man. I, it was so cool when I talked to her. What did you think? Do you have any opinions about that? Oh, I mean, it's just absolutely critical. And I mean, we talk a lot about domestic manufacturing. There are companies that I can name right now who have uh, designs on manufacturing in massive scale and then shipping hydrogen around just like they ship oil now. Um, so, so there's really a lot of movement. It's going to be a valuable commodity. Being able to produce it domestically, not be beholden to any foreign sources or shipping issues, or at least ocean ocean going shipping, um, it has a tremendous amount of value more than just the kilowatt hour number. 
Right. And that was, and that was part of this, like the big piece of this conversation. If you, if you caught yeah. it, like their big yeah. motivator to do this was, Hey, we either got to pay someone to take the electricity. I was like, what? <laughs> we got to pay someone to take our excess electricity when things are really booming here or, and, or we're going to have trouble with our electrical equipment of ramping uh, the, I guess the generators, uh, the um, turbines up and down. Those are like mechanical devices that create friction problems and they actually break. Right. So they yep. have a different mechanism now to take that energy. And, and, and then they're like, this is going to help our existing system. That was their motivation as I understood it. And then from there, they're like, well, we got all this green energy as a, a green hydrogen as a result of this. What do we do with it? I'm going to turn the fan off. It was getting hot in here a second ago. And so then we, then they can, now they're actually kind of pioneering in a sense in that regional area, different areas for consumption of that hydrogen where they can sell it, right? And we've seen yep. out there, there are um, right now on the other end of that kind of food chain or supply chain, you have companies like Switch and All-American Marine that are deploying uh, hydrogen ferries in SF Bay today. And they're going, how do we get the hydrogen, man? So they're on the other end going, give me the hydrogen. And Wells is going, we got a bunch of hydrogen. What do we do with it? <laughs> so they're going to meet, right? That's the thing about this industry. I just can't. There, I love there's, it. there's an energy market electrical energy market there's going to be a hydrogen market right? <laughs> there's, a, there's an oil market there's a, there's a hydrogen market it just manifests itself because there's people that have it and there's people that need it there you go there you go so that's uh megan vipert we're going to get out there we're going to do some uh footage uh, soon maybe they will even continue to increase their their five meg uh modularly in the future and, and build it out there talking about that it's a possibility but they're the largest in the country right now as and i haven't checked with them in about you know maybe two months so it'll be interesting to see if it's already done and then what's up and coming of course we hear names like plug and we hear names plug power mm -hmm. in the alabama new york which is the niagara uh, uh hydropower power uh, region and we hear new things so i know you've got an article here jay i'm looking right at it uh domestically what's going on what is it universal hydrogen can you tell us about that a little bit um so there's a company out there universal hydrogen who is has been dabbling in i don't say dabbling their main focus is retrofit kits for existing airframes it's very difficult to make a new aircraft you know i mean airbus and boeing and these guys spend decades and billions of dollars in R&D before they ever go to like the FAA and say, hey, we have this new aircraft and we need you to test it. Um, but it's a whole lot easier to just change out a power plant. You know, you change the engine. The whole airframe is still the same. We're just changing the, the mode of propulsion. And so Universal Hydrogen's whole mission is to be able to change out the power plant from a traditional jet A turbine engine like a rolls royce or something and put in a hydrogen burning turbine really interesting concept i don't i mean it's it's they are different technologies like fundamentally different and there's as i, I love hydrogen you know this but there's a problem with energy density in my head where you don't get enough and it's very difficult to get these numbers um when you're talking about energy density, there's a couple of different ways you can talk about it. It's like volumetrically or just mass. By, by mass, hydrogen has huge amounts of energy. When it burns, you get a couple of couple atoms of hydrogen, they they burn, they combine with oxygen, and you 
get water vapor uh, at the end. It releases a tremendous amount of energy. It's like three times uh, what your gasoline in your tank can do. And right. so it's, abs it's absolutely used. Jet, jet A is better uh, because it's, it's more refined as a, uh, as a fuel, but in the end, it's still gasoline. So it's, it's a little hotter, but not, but not by much. Um, hydrogen, however, you can't really compress it enough. I mean, when you talk about volume, that's where hydrogen starts to fall down. It's only, um, was it, it's like a half of, of the energy density, maybe less. Um, I, I lost the number. I apologize. <laughs> I will get it. In fact, in fact, I, I have this vision in my head of a perfect chart, which shows uh -huh. <laughs> you exactly where all the energy densities are. I'm going to make this chart because I need it in so, my life. So you're saying that there's trouble in like in a, in a purely electric, like a, a, a chemical reaction that you get more energy out of hydrogen than you do from jet A. But, but in the case of the practical tran transportability of it or how it's, how it's, brought on the plane there's to be, able, there. to be able to store it and so we're talking like if, if you put it in like a liter so you have a liter of liquid jet fuel you have a liter of liquid hydrogen yeah not only is the hydrogen more difficult to manage because it's under pressure and temperature constraints but um it doesn't have the same energy in that space right and right. so that is so energy per, per per volumetric and space, per is space less versus energy per molecule. Gotcha, gotcha. So and and so then that so creates it's, a problem. So it's a neat conversation. I mean, you know, there are ways to make it better. Um, there's they're actually talking about um, ammonia as well as as fuel, um, although ammonia has a much more difficult time just igniting as a, as a fuel. Um, there's some real positives that ammonia is even, even stronger. I mean, if you think about ammonia as a molecule, it's got three hydrogens in it. Um, and it can actually release even more energy than just hydrogen by itself, but it has a really hard time letting go of those bonds. So it makes it, it makes it more difficult. And my, what I think they're trying to do is actually mix the fuels. Uh, so you'd have a, I have a hydrogen ammonia type of, of mix, uh, hmm. which would be really interesting, but, uh, I don't know enough about it yet. I need to get these guys on the phone to find out. So that's universal um, so anyway, hydrogen. Going, going back to um, the universal hydrogen story is they've just signed an agreement or a letter of intent with H3 Dynamics. And H3 Dynamics is a company that um, specializes in um, fuel and fuel cell and, and powertrain solutions. Mm. Mm. So they're, they're looking at this whole... Um, cohesive, um, what to say, uh, infrastructure. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess the, the point of this story here is that we have, a, you know, an, an effort in aviation for retrofitable engines, uh, in the hydrogen space, something that will consume the hydrogen that's being produced in facilities like, uh, the Wells uh, project over in Wenatchee, but in other ones yep. all around the country, like the plug one, which we'll hear about in a little bit. And, yep. um, you know, the more that we see those types of, uh, of new technologies in, emerge and these partnerships emerge, we're going to closer, we're going to get to the right kind of mix, right? So, I mean, I'm always stoked to see kind of, uh, you know, 
electrification of the electrification of everything is still electric, right? Because it'll be electricity at the end of the day, right? That uh, powers these things. So, you know, that's, uh, it's exciting to see that in the, in the ferry space and the aviation space. And it's exciting to see it domestically too. That's in New Mexico. They're talking about a quarter billion dollars of investment in uh, New Mexico with these new facilities. So this is awesome stuff, man. There's great things happening in hydrogen. I know that there's stuff happening around the world. Did you get a chance to peek at what's happening in Australia? Uh, they're just in terms of scale. I want to say that they're one of the largest things globally. Yeah, I love this little article that you sent me. It's a PV Magazine article specifically talking about the um, the battery and hydrogen park. Uh, but what I like about it is that they are, and I think I said this last episode actually, is taking an existing coal burning oh, yeah. plant and just refurbing it. It is already a location where it's centrally located, is very well connected to their electrical grid, is built out for power generation. Uh, but because they're end of lifing all these coal burning plants, um, they're going to be able to use the same location. It's, and there's really no conversation about um, they're not in my backyard. I don't want to see it, et cetera, et cetera, because it's already been a coal plant for, for many decades. Right. Uh, this is in Victoria, which is the southeastern part of Australia, if I remember correctly. Um, the other thing that took me back is that they they have a big picture, and that that is not a coal plant. That's a nuclear plant. I know. What was that all about? <laughs> of the article. So I think you guys probably at, at a PB magazine, we love you, but uh, don't don't do that. <laughs> I gotta tell you, you know where I went with that. I was like, well, it's Australians, obviously. So <laughs> like <they were>. nice, <laughs> nice guy. Um, <laughs> I have a history. Anyway, anyway Sorry, I think guys. it's it's an absolutely fantastic use of the infrastructure. They're talking about putting 44, uh, 44 megawatt out there in solar, um, another eighty megawatt in in a different farm, and it's all going to be feeding back to this um, this Octopus Australia facility um, to to generate uh, both electricity for the grid and any excess goes into hydrogen. So again, making hydrogen from it's 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 a great storage medium and I'm, I'm very happy to see it well what's neat about that and, and and i was wrong that's not one of the largest in the in the world that's being and we're talking i think um the, the plug power in the in niagara is a, much bigger than that but when we think about this uh retrofitting of existing um fossil fuel plants coal plants whatever you know you got guys like the uh what was that the uh the the, the hedge fund guys out there buying miners and going in there and running up the coal because these plants are oh, getting decommissioned right God, this is yeah, a better use of that plant uh for the common good of you know addressing climate change than it is for bitcoin miners to get in there and hedge fund guys to go and make a killing so i like seeing retrofits like that rather than retrofits like like the the aforementioned thing um you know, what the when we think about hydrogen, I think one of the questions, we'll ask Brian Thomas this, but how do we get into, how do we as investors, as people that are energy wonks or geeks or people that love the, the energy markets, how do we play a role? And what I was stoked about with this next article, Jen, I don't know if you got a chance to look at this one. This is a uh, play the coming green hydrogen boom with plug power stock. Of course, we're familiar with plug, um, but they're talking about ETFs. Yes, our yep. favorite uh, three letters, right? Global X hydrogen ETF. So this is uh, MSN um, news here. And if you're on the NASDAQ, HYDR is the ticker. And uh, they're, they're talking about, you know, 
plug, right? And apparently this is down. When I see it's down, I kind of get excited because I, I like the idea of hydrogen. I like the idea of plug. I like the idea of them de deploying all of that uh, tech and scale up there in, uh, in, in the Niagara power facility. And they're saying that, uh, you know, this is like 40% off its peak right now, right? This, uh, this, this, this thing. And then the, the plug is actually like 12% of this ETF. So it's a good chunk mm -hmm. of this ETF, right? It's kind of like the way that like, uh, what was the name of the ETF we were all getting tan? For the, for the, Remember tan, tan and solar? And it was like yeah. solar edge was like 10 or 15 points of tan, right? Yeah. And so this is like, you know, 12% of this new hydrogen ETF. We got to talk to Thomas on this, huh? Absolutely. But just to, to roll back just for a second, for people that don't know what an ETF is, ETF stands for Exchange Traded Fund. Uh, it's, it's essentially just the evolution of mutual funds. So think instead of a single stock of companies, it's a basket with a bunch of different stocks in it. Uh, and ETFs are driven a little differently. Uh, there's some algorithms and programs that go into it to, to kind of define the rules of what company can go into the basket. And then it kind of monitors itself and, and rolls over time, um, drop both buying more and selling and selling off uh, particular assets, depending on the rules that you set up. So that's, that's all an ETF is. So thank you for that. Yes. And we happen to be familiar with that because we had Brian Thomas of Fairwinds Wealth Management on the solar coaster for a solid year. And we talked about ETFs all over the place. Unbelievable educator. Do give him yeah. a call. Fairwinds thank you, Brian Wealth Thomas, Management. Fairwinds Wealth Manager. Give him a shout. Out. Um, I used to say his number at the end of the show. I can't remember his number right now, but you'll find him if you Google him. And um, this is where, Jay, in this article here, this is where it says many large green hydro hydrogen projects are coming. They talk about Southern California Gas, they talk about all these different ones. And the one, the reason yep. why I had Australia in my mind is the large six gigawatt green project in Australia, but that's different than the one we just read about. That's a different one as well. Yeah. So it's everywhere, folks. You know, people are basically, you know, they're people are excited about hydrogen. And it looks like it's uh it's getting its it's kind of time in the sun, so to speak. Um, and for me, that's when I saw, I, I wish Brian was on this show right now, because we could ask him what he thinks, but the bottom line on plug stock, plug stock is currently selling 40, 48% below it's 52 week high of 48.35 a share. And that was on a March 11th, 2021. That's about a just solid year ago. And the closest it's been is 45.40 on November 19th. So if it's 50% below, and if you're a bullish guy on hydrogen, like I think we are, maybe this is something we can get into. Maybe this is our tan Full of 2022. Full some plug power. Um, but I do want to let folks know, I mean, you don't have to have a huge amount of money to start investing. Um, and then, so if you're, if you're interested in this stuff, if you want to participate, in any way uh it's a good it's a good option to start i'd say give brian thomas of fairwinds wealth management a call for sure he's a guy that can help you out a lot okay sure. mr vericard this has been our hydrogen show and uh i, I do want to follow up i want to wrap this up i'll give you a chance to chat here but i want to be able to talk about some of the things that are coming for the solar coaster uh, exciting stuff so on 325 that's only about what nine days away we have the podcasters roundtable with tigercom mike casey all the great podcasters out there will be able to make some fun announcements at that and talk about what's going on in 2022 um <clears throat> 
we have an opportunity to have a couple of e-maritime guys on the show coming soon. Matt Foley, he's actually a fan of the Solar Coaster. Aloha, Matt, uh, from Asbury Park, New Jersey, reached out after listening to the show for years. And the new Rebel, which is a uh, like a 60-foot green hybridized torpedo catamaran he was selling down in the Miami Boat Show. We're going to get a chance to talk to the guys that are actually running that, um, uh, that, that, that boat, basically selling that boat. And we're going to get a chance to learn more about that because I love that stuff. You want one, don't you? Of course I do. I do. I mean, I'm definitely <laughs> geeking out on that stuff, man. Uh, it, well, it's kind of a toss up between like the um, the E Sun Reef, if you're in this world of looking at ridiculously expensive catamarans, the Silent 60, which is a straight, you know, uh, catamaran with solar on it. And then this uh, Rebel, which I'd never heard about before, but it's got the Torquedo hybrid drive system. I think it's called the Blue Ocean. Uh, I love this stuff. I spend way too much time geeking out on it. And uh, in about two months, we're going to have Hawaii Energy Conference 2021. Just talked 2022. I have 2021 up there. 2022. It is a virtual Hawaii Energy Conference. It's on May 10th through the 12th, I think, or something like that. But there is some discussion about a cocktail party out here in Maui and maybe finding a way to like get virtual people into the cocktail party. So we'll tell you about that as it evolves. But we're, uh, you know, Solar Coaster loves a Hawaii Energy Conference. Um, what else we got going on? Ah, the, the span and solar edge installs. Those things are happening. Uh, do you want to say something, Jay? No, I was just going to mention that you finally got. Well, why don't you go for it? Why don't you tell the, the, notif the notification <laughs> that your hardware, you've been, we've been, Jeez, uh, this actually was started in 2019, I think, right? I mean, that was it's just that before, far the, back. Just before and, the virus kind of came and, out and, and, and then, put everybody in the And then the there was a pause for some unknown reason. <laughs> <laughs> and now and now we're back but you finally got shipping notification i'm super excited to see this because we've been yeah, waiting, waiting for it forever yeah, um, yeah this is great to get these systems in and have an actual hands-on play so i want to give a big thanks to um span and emily welch uh, as a primary here emily was actually uh i got to know her when she was within the solar edge uh, machine and then she moved over to span and then she we were doing this project and just kind of trying to get it up and running and basically what they're doing is we're they're sending out to the solar coaster to to me um a um uh, well, a battery bank from the Kokum acquisition, right? So Solar Edge moved into the Solar Plus battery space about two years ago, and they have. It's been a while for it to mature to the place where you know throughout the pandemic where they're ready to go. Right. So they're actually moving into a kind of a mature marketplace out here in Hawaii, but they're looking for the opportunity to deploy this and test it and have fun with it. And I think that after speaking with some people on the ground about the Solar Edge system, we're talking about uh, PV optimizers p400s i've been saying p320s and i was wrong they're p400s nice and then um we've got we're going to do a little bit more pv some of the bifacials that we've been playing with for a while jerry to get those up out there and then we're going to have the energy hub system the backup i think it's called a gateway and then we have an uh, a, a ev charger a standalone ev charger so i'm going to pull the existing inverter i have off we're going to do the install on that whole system. We can stack a number of batteries. I think it's up to three 11.4 inverters, uh, uh, energy hub inverters to that gateway and up to like, I don't know, a few, I have to check the stats again, a few of these 10 kilowatt hour um, uh, uh, solar edge batteries to each of those inverters. So there's a lot going on there, a lot of potential uh, for this particular system as it relates to the other leaders out there, that being Tesla, right? That being yep. Generac, uh, that being Enphase with the Ensemble, all the ones that we're acquainted with, right? And there's a bunch of others as well. So uh, it's going to be great to get a hold of that. That's Ford. happening in this space. Which one? Ford. Which one? 
Ford. 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 <laughs> it's going to be really fun to get a hold of that system, play with it, kind of push it to its limits. Uh, one of the, the the hallmarks of the Energy Hub system is similar to Generac in that they're really talking about moving energy around the house rather than simply right. storing it, but doing other things with it. You have the EV, for example. You have this run on sun EV, only on sun, or optimized highest level two charger when it first came out, right? 11.2, I think, kilowatts or something. So it's a really cool technology. And then in addition to that, we're not only doing the solar edge energy hub system, but thanks to Emily Welch over there at SPAN, you know, a Tesla uh, emerging company, the founders are from originally from Tesla. Uh, span we're bringing a load control panel it's a gen 2 and uh, we're able to dynamically curtail and manage loads uh in you know of that that are you know uh, uh, within the home here in Makawell, but um also work with the storage and the uh production system of the energy hub system solar edge so what a cool like combination of technology we're going to be creating videography around that and sharing that with everybody um, that should happen on four the week of around 418, 420-ish, um, right around the corner. We should be done with that in early May. Uh, and yeah, there you go, man. Rocking and rolling with awesome tech. Super, Jay, you coming out from Osaka to test super, it? Pardon? You come out and play? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm super stoked to see the results of this in, in a real world situation because all we ever get are fact sheets and white papers and such. And, well, I... <laughs> I want to have a real play with it. And you were, we were talking about parasitic loads and such um, the other day. I think the span is going to uh, show you a lot about what goes on in your house. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And, you know, there are some uh, collaborating organizations with span on this. There's uh, the elemental accelerator, which is this uh, clean tech funding group based here in Hawaii that has a cohort every year of like maybe a dozen companies or something. They have these awesome companies and spans one of those, right? And then of course, um, there's an install cost to these span systems. So they're partnering with Hawaii Energy our good friends, Brian K. Aloha, Walter, all the rest of them at Hawaii Energy here, where they provide rebates for energy efficiency retrofits. They've got a deal like that going. So we're going to be able to announce what that is shortly as well. A lot of cool people. Hopefully we'll be able to showcase the whole thing at Hawaii Energy Conference and just have a great time doing it. So uh, that's what's going on for the coaster. That's 2022 in March of March 16th. Um, and yeah, it's been a great show, Jay. Thank you very much. Any final words? Ah, uh, this was not the only hydrogen show we're going to do. <laughs> you said the hydrogen show. I was like, no, there's going to be more. <laughs> yes, we do have a bunch. We've got uh, Chuck Collins sure. with Hawaii Energy, uh, Hawaii, Hawaii Hydrogen Alliance. <laughs> yep. And we've got uh, Michelle, um, Michelle Detweiler of uh, Renewable Hydrogen Alliance in Portland. We're going to be doing shows with both of them. They're brilliant people. And a couple of other hydrogen uh, aficionados, if I can say that, that will be airing shortly. And hydrogen is not just hydrogen. Hydrogen is also storage, folks. All right. This has been the Solar Coaster. (laughs) Um, Thank you very much for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. All right. Aloha. Aloha.